Chapter Eleven of Recollections of Bush Life in Australia by Henry William Haygarth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Incidents of Daily Life. A considerable portion of a settler's daily life is occupied in making visits to his sheep stations, which are situated on every side of him at a few miles' distance from which he constitutes his own place of residence. He visits them for the purpose of overlooking his stock in person, and of guarding against negligence on the part of such of his men as may be suspected of yielding to the vis inerti, or, as the phrase is, of not doing justice to their flocks. Everybody rises early in the interior, and the necessity of being in the saddle by sunrise soon becomes no hardship to the settler, who at least enjoys the cool morning air before the sun is up and gets a famous appetite for breakfast before his return to the head station, even if he should fail in his primary object, which is to catch his shepherd napping. Those who are fond of sporting are usually accompanied on these occasions by one or two kangaroo dogs, a sort of large half-breed greyhound much prized in the colony, for at this early hour the native dog has not yet returned to his daily retreat, and gives an excellent run. He is generally found lurking in long grass or rocky places, watching some cows and calves, or mares with their foals, with a strong design upon the young stock in both cases. These dogs run very gallantly at starting, with as much speed as a fox, but with less endurance and courage, for when hard-pressed at first it is not unusual for their running powers to desert them through fear. However, when attacked, they always die very hard giving bite for bite in silence to the last. Their speed varies greatly. Some that we killed were overtaken within a quarter of a mile. Others would run for four or five, in capital style, and the last we ever hunted I well remember succeeded in getting clear off, on level ground, though we were mounted on fast horses. It is called dingo and, and waragle by the aborigines and is an indigenous animal being neither dog fox jackal nor wolf to each of which however it bears some resemblance most perhaps to the latter it usually hunts alone though three or four are sometimes met with in company and it preys indiscriminately upon everything it can master from foals and calves down to the smallest animals and birds its prevailing colors are bright yellow and dusky brown, with the tip of the tail white. They are also found of a black color, mixed in some instances with tan, but this probably arises from admixture with the European species, as an animal of this color is never seen in any recently discovered district. Its most striking peculiarity is tenacity of life, in which it probably surpasses most other animals. For this reason, and not from any remarkable strength of its own, few dogs can kill one singly. Indeed, so many instances have been known of their recovering under the most improbable circumstances, that a native dog is never considered as left for dead, unless some vital part is severed. As a last resource, when neither running nor fighting are of any further service, it has a remarkable trick of shamming dead, when it may be dragged about by the heels and well belabored without flinching, lolling its head listlessly down, as if quite lifeless, until a fair opportunity for crawling away presents itself. A tame specimen on our station exhibited a striking instance of their natural cunning. 
he was chained in a small enclosure into which a merino ram one day accidentally strayed and not clearly seeing his way out again prepared to attack his natural enemy who being equally willing to do battle stood out as far as his chain would permit and awaited the attack it was strength versus skill the ram who boasted a formidable pair of the spiral horns peculiar to his breed after retreating backwards for some distance in the usual way rushed forward upon his foe with sufficient impetus to have knocked down an ox and victory seemed already within his reach but the native dog was far too wary to stand the brunt of such a blow so just when it seemed inevitable he crouched suddenly down and seized his antagonist firmly by the throat as he flew over thus he would speedily have dispatched him had we not come to the rescue the native dog seldom barks but howls most dismally and at night when they frequently approach the station nothing can be conceived more dreary than their cry which is composed of a series of wailing notes into the last of which as if by way of a climax they throw the very essence of melancholy to make the matter worse all the curs about the place invariably join in chorus and the whole sound echoing through the lonely woods produces an effect which might triumph over the equanimity of zimmerman himself or any other votary of solitude not the least attractive part of life in the interior of these colonies is the way in which pleasure can be combined with business without much interfering as is usually the case elsewhere with its proper performance the settler seldom goes out merely for sporting purposes but they fall in his way as he labors in his vocation the roving habits of his half-wild horses and horned cattle alone afford occasion for a great variety of hunting and the chase of the native dog and sometimes though less frequently owing to their shy nature of the emu and kangaroo occurs during his visits to his flocks or his rides across his pasture grounds vividly do these scenes recur to the mind of those who have known the mingled charms and hardships of life in the bush though i am no keen sportsman yet i have found the enthusiasm very catching the early ride to the sheep station the counting out from the fold its fleecy inmates and quiet return homewards until the sudden cry of a war-raggle changed the slow amble into a rush as if for very life the bewilderment of the kangaroo dogs upon the sudden alteration in the aspect of affairs before they caught sight of its cause and when they did the splendid way in which they would pull down the quarry and then the death which might furnish a subject for landseer the body lying on the edge of some clear lake the steeds panting upon the brink the gaunt hounds plunging into the water to rid themselves of the nausea which is produced by contact with the native dog and the whole lighted up by the gorgeous morning sun just peering over the distant hills besides the native dog the kangaroo and the emu or cassowary of new holland are objects of chase they are animals of a shy and retiring disposition and the settler's approach is the signal for their departure they must now be sought in their own distant haunts and it is very possible to reside in the colony for many years without having seen either all that the sportsman when in pursuit of them requires is a tolerably fast and sure-footed horse a pair of good dogs and a hunting knife the speed of both is very great though neither can be said to run for the kangaroo bounds and the emu half flies the former is the fastest the latter has more power of endurance 
at first starting a young male or female kangaroo called in the colony a flyer can leave both horse and hound far behind it seems to go with little exertion but the vast space it can clear at each leap accounts for its swiftness when it can go no farther it wheels round and if there should be a tree or a rock at hand places its back against it so as to avoid being taken in the rear a well-trained dog tries to seize it by the back or side of the neck if he succeeds the kangaroo which is rather a top-heavy animal falls over and seldom can rise again if however the hound incautiously makes his attack in front the kangaroo is apt to get him in his short forepaws he then brings up his hind legs which are a mass of sinews and strikes with them like a gamecock aiming to tear his adversary to pieces with his toes or claws which are very strong and pointed the emu has only one means of defense his kick which is sufficiently forcible to stun a hound the kangaroo is valuable on account of its skin which makes the most comfortable leather that can be worn in a warm climate and from the flesh of the emu an oil is extracted which is much prized in the bush the settler who is fond of his gun can always have tolerable shooting several sorts of quail pigeons snipes and wild fowl are found in most of the inland districts a wonga wonga a large dark blue pigeon with a white head is a great delicacy and the painted quail which is found among the long grass in open forest land flies not unlike a woodcock nor need the angler forego his favorite diversion in the bush many of the rivers and especially the lakes abound with fish most of which take bait freely and the paradoxical nature which pervades the animal kingdom in australia renders a day's angling more than usually interesting there is no saying what delicate monster may not be dragged reluctantly into day at the next bite this brings to my recollection an old favorite prodigy the ornithorhynchus paradoxus called also the platypus duckbill and watermole by the colonists which might be seen any evening lying on top of the water in the rivers and water holes in our vicinity it was shot sometimes for the sake of stuffing it and preserving it as a curiosity though it was very quick at diving or ducking the flash whether it is oviparous or viviparous still remains undecided among naturalists snakes are met in with most parts of the colony in some species the bite is harmless in others it produces violent inflammation and in a few the venom is so subtle as to cause death in a short time the effect in many instances is much exaggerated as well as the hostility of the reptile the fact is that the snake is always too glad to escape when he can and it is often the most frightened of the two parties meeting but will infallibly attack any one who gets in his way or cuts off his retreat to his hole though i have heard innumerable stories of fatal results ensuing from the venom of snakes in australia many of which were certainly true yet i never actually witnessed the effects of a bite except on one occasion the sufferer was a bullock driver who on returning late one evening from a sheep station with his team was bitten in the ankle on reaching home he came directly to report his accident and said that he shortly expected great agony but it was in vain to send for any medical man as there was not one within twenty-five miles and before he could possibly arrive the patient would either have recovered or be beyond all human skill the venom first began to operate visibly in about twenty minutes after the bite there was but little external swelling 
a death-like chill came over the sufferer which was so strong that although he was placed in front of a large fire and covered with blankets the weather being then very sultry his flesh was cold as ice and his teeth chattered in his head the chill was in his blood soon a reaction took place intense heat succeeded its opposite extreme and the man ran out into the open air to cool himself for he had suddenly become as hot as fire next came delirium which after a time gave place to nausea and headache the patient then slowly began to recover and before daybreak was out of danger though he was so worn and haggard in the morning that it seemed as if the effects of the venom in the course of the single night had added five years to his age it was a painful sight to witness for if we could do nothing to alleviate his sufferings and looked on in constant expectation of his death the most spirit-stirring sight which the sportsman can witness is the first view of a new pastoral district and to the lover of the picturesque perhaps this is the most beautiful scene that australia can afford little does the resident in the vicinity of the capital or the hasty traveller who as in the case may be lauds or abuses the scenery of port jackson or the Parramatta river dream of the fair spots that life are in the interior plains and open forests untrodden by the foot of the white man and as far as the eye can reach covered with grass so luxuriant that it brushes the horseman in his saddle flocks of kangaroos quietly grazing as yet untaught to fear the enemy that is invading their territory the emu playfully crossing and recrossing his route and the quail rising at every step lagoons literally swarming with wildfowl these are scenes reserved for the eye of the enterprising settler or the still more enterprising overlander an overlander is one who makes long expeditions from one colony to another with stock either for the purpose of finding new pasture land on which to establish himself or to take advantage of a favorite market then mark the change that follows hard upon discovery intelligence of the new country reaches the settled districts and countless flocks and herds are poured into the land of promise it is divided into stations and improvements are everywhere erected upon it disputes arise and a commissioner is appointed to settle them bush rangers are out and mounted police are sent to hunt them down the wild blacks indignant at the cool occupation of their territory spear the cattle and the settlers retaliate the governor establishes a protector of the aborigines who perhaps has most need of protection himself to some the new region brings wealth to others disappointment while anglo-saxon energy at last triumphs over every obstacle but nature as if offended withdraws half her beauty from the land the pasture gradually loses its freshness some of the rivers and lakes run low others become wholly dry the wild animals the formal peaceful deisons of the soil are no more to be found and the explorer who has gazed on the district in its first luxuriance has seen it as it never can be seen again the climate of australia has been so frequently discussed that i should scarcely advert to the subject did i not wish to protest against the soundness of the claim which is constantly set up for it in the colony of superiority to that of great britain indeed i have heard the climate of the antipodes extolled to such a degree that i have begun to end by flattering themselves that there was no fine weather in any other part of the globe 
the majority of travellers who visit australia declare its climate to be the best in the world one of the very best it undoubtedly is there are probably few countries where there are more fine days out of the three hundred and sixty-five none where there is a more anti-consumptive atmosphere or purer expanse of sky infantine diseases are unknown and man can nowhere expect to enjoy more uninterrupted health if he loses it it is usually through his own fault if a perfect climate is to be found anywhere it is that of sydney in the winter where for about three months that is to say during june july and august it would be impossible for the veriest grumbler to say that the weather was too hot too cold too anything unless he should adopt the complaint of captain hall's discontented friends and call it too temperate the sky is without a cloud the sun warm without the excessive heat of summer the air clear as crystal and of a nature peculiarly buoyant and exhilarating but the only true criterion of the excellence of a climate is growth and perfection of its animal and vegetable productions and after a long residence in the country and close attention to the subject i am bound to say that judged by this test the preference upon the whole must be awarded to the climate of great britain the question is not which is the most agreeable climate this is a point which depends entirely upon each man's peculiar constitution and taste the climate of australia is delightfully dry but this dryness amounts to a defect our english moisture is wanting to produce as it does in the country the great luxuriance and variety of scenery and verdure and to bring the animal and vegetable kingdom to the highest perfection where there is scarcely any winter there is not the full enjoyment of summer and where there is perpetual spring there is virtually none the climate of our own district indeed was one of the best in the colony more temperate throughout the year than that of sydney and far more so than that of the northern settlements the summers were tolerably cool and the winters were varied with not a few mornings of frost and even occasionally falls of light snow but in many parts of the colony the summer's best is unpleasant and oppressive the hot wind which has been frequently described is felt in the inland districts as well as in sydney but it is not of course called by the name of a brickfielder anywhere but in the capital where it required the name from the circumstance of its passing over a large brickfield and thus filling every place with red dust whenever it comes it is destructive to vegetation prostrating the crops before it and withering the beautiful gardens in a few hours it does not however permanently affect the vegetable kingdom nor is it injurious to man it blows invariably from the interior and this circumstance has led many to adopt the theory that the hitherto impenetrable centre of australia is a vast sandy desert over which this wind passes and acquires its heat in its course the animal and vegetable productions of australia though decidedly of an excellent quality yet rather degenerate from those of the mother country whence most of them have been imported throughout the colony there is a forcing tendency in the climate which causes the fruits of the soil to ripen too quickly and hence they are inferior in quality to those of more temperate latitudes this failing is also apparent to the breeder of stock who constantly witnesses this degenerating tendency in his flocks and herds the native-born population i allude of course only to the whites 
though a remarkably fine race and it must be confessed approaching very closely to their ancestors heels in personal appearance yet are not upon the whole equal in form to the parent stock the average height of the australians is probably more than that of the english but when they exceed a certain standard they are apt to become loose-made and weedy thereby justifying their appellation of cornstalks when of moderate height they are remarkably well-shaped broad muscular and active in feature they are more like the english than any other of our descendants in fact it would be very difficult to distinguish an australian from an englishman by his appearance for the climate of new holland does not produce in the sons of its soil that dark foreign look which frequently characterizes the americans and other races originally sprung from british blood and many of the native australians retain the light complexion and blue eyes of the anglo-saxon race the native girls are for the most part tall straight and good-looking their chief defects being want of color and depth of chest in these points only inferiority to their ancestors can be observed though it is remarkable that the men have proportionably a finer development than the other sex a striking characteristic of the animal growth of the human race in australia is the rapidity with which both sexes shoot up at an early age of their youth a native white at the age of fourteen or fifteen appears destined to attain the utmost perfection of form but from that age to twenty there is not usually that expansion nor development which the previous growth had promised sufficient time has not yet elapsed since the formation of the colony to admit a fair calculation being made of the average duration of life among the native-born population but as the bloom of their youth soon passes away and as their climate produces such rapid growth it may be doubted whether they will prove remarkable for longevity End of chapter 11